everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The season is underway. Plenty of rookies and prospects in the big leagues and plenty of them putting up big numbers early. We'll talk about them. We'll also talk to the White Sox Senior Director of Baseball Ops, Dan Fabian, about one of those extraordinarily hot rookies, Yermin Mercedes. I had a trade happen that involved a prospect and a former elite prospect in Orlando Arcia, who goes from the Brewers to the Braves. We'll discuss that deal. We've had three top 100 prospects graduate off the list since the season has begun. Three new guys on the list. We'll talk about that. We're going to give you our weekly draft update on Kumar Rocker and uh, Jack Leiter, as always. And we'll talk uh, about a couple other guys with some helium, too. And then we'll wrap up, as we always do, with the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, the season has begun. Um, we have what we had 56 top prospects make opening day rosters. Uh, I think, what was it? I, I should have looked this up before we did it. I think it was 17 top 100 prospects made opening day rosters, which is uh, up from the past several years. We average about 12 per year over the past few years. Um, some of these guys off to very hot starts, uh, including the American League Player of the Week, Yermin Mercedes. You guys both predicted that last week before the season began, so congratulations on that. <laughs> uh, Akil Badu, who we, I think we've talked about. We should keep streaks on players that we've talked about on the podcast. I feel like we've talked about Badu for several weeks in a row now. He impressed throughout spring training and then uh, – Wasted absolutely no time in continuing that in the big leagues, homering on his the first pitch he ever saw in the big leagues. You can't get much better than that, right? I mean, you could hit a grand slam on the first pitch, but he he waited till his second game to do that. So, what what's better, the very first pitch you see in the big leagues, or, or do you you want to walk off in your first game? I guess that's better, right? The walk off. I, I mean, except you have to wait for that situation. So, oh, I, mean, I think homering on the first pitch, like that's a very small list. Um, that's pretty cool. I, I think you retire then. Then you just say, I'm done. Like, it can't get any better than this. And I'm, I mean, I announced my retirement. It's what Tuffy Rhodes should have done. I, I seem to remember uh, Kevin Kuzminoff going like four for four in his big league debut and thinking he should hang him up. Yeah. I mean, it, it, listen, it happens often. Uh, so, you know, we take all these these opening weeks with grains of salt, but it is fun to see. I think one of the things that's been you know, so much fun is that a lot of these guys who are, are, are kind of making headlines are not the elite level prospects. And you know, some of them are doing just fine, but, you know, your mean Mercedes, Akil Badu, and I can't believe I'm bringing up this name, Zach McKinstry, um, off to very, you know, these are not guys who, uh, uh, were that highly rated, even though Jim, you know, in our Zach McKinstry versus Mickey Moniak lifetime competition is way ahead now. Um, he should, you should get Zach McKinstry to retire, Jim, now because <laughs> then he'd, he'd, he'd win. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be, you know, offer him half of that 25 grand. I'm sure he'd, he'd be in for that, Jim. Yeah. Cause, cause what's the major league minimum now? Like around $600,000. So, me giving him twelve thousand five hundred dollars would would make that worth his while to walk away from his career. But yeah, no, it's you know I think Jonathan, I, 
you've written up Badoo in the past and, and Mercedes and McKinster are both in, in my organization. It's like, yeah, you, Mercedes, I mean, obviously just a, a great story. And he's one of those guys that like, I, so I do our White Sox list and their, their list is extremely top heavy and not deep. So I put him on the list at 21. It wasn't that hard of a decision to put him on the list. You know, I didn't put him up high, but it's like, you're writing him up and it's like, okay, there's this 28 year old guy that there, there can't be many guys older than that on the list. I, I still, Jason, I'm still scarred. Cause I remember when I put Matt Bush on the Rangers list and I think he was in his thirties and you, you chastised me for how old he was. Uh, so, uh, I, uh, you know, you're mean, you're mean Mercedes. I mean, the, the story is just crazy and we're all getting to know it now, but you know, he signs for $20,000 10 years ago with the nationals plays three years, never even comes to the U S just all in the DSL. And then he gets cut, bounces around indie ball, goes to the Orioles. The white Sox take him in the rule five draft, but not the major league rule five draft in the minor league phase, which is essentially your, your, your previous team doesn't consider you one of their top 80 or so players. And they just give you away for basically nothing. Um, and, you know, it, it's, a, it's a strange profile. Um, I mean, he's hit, he's hit everywhere he's gone. He's a career 302 hitter in, in pro ball coming in this year, 850 ops. It, it's hit over power, which is a little problematic for a guy who doesn't really have a lot of positions can play. He's right-handed hitter, not left-handed. He's nominally a catcher. It, it's weird because you'll get some scouts who who look and tell you he's got good framing metrics. Our scouts will be like, man, that guy's a well below average receiver. He, he's he's a 20 runner on the 28 scale. So it's like, you can't really play him in the outfield. Maybe you could stick him at first. I mean, he's kind of a DH only, but man, getting eight hits in, in eight at-bats to start the season. I, I actually caught myself being disappointed that he got the one at bat last year, which was, I was excited for him to get. We went over one. Otherwise he would have began his career eight for eight. But you know, the, I think the interesting thing with him is if he, if he keeps hitting and I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'll take the under on his current 1684 ops, <laughs> but, but if he keeps hitting when the white Sox get a little healthier and, and, and Adam Eaton is back, you know, as much as I like Andrew Vaughn, I don't really think Andrew Vaughn's a left fielder. Like, I, I, I think you're going to get a below average left fielder there. So if Andrew Vaughn starts slow and your mean Mercedes rakes, does Andrew Vaughn go to AAA or the minors for a little while and Mercedes becomes the DH? I'll, I'll be curious to see how that plays out because the White Sox are not at the stage where they're developing players now. They're, they're, they're all in to win. And if they think Mercedes is giving them the best at-bats right now, he might actually push Vaughn back to the minors. I mean, it's, a, it's I guess it's the kind of problem you want to have, you know, not having enough at bats for guys, especially given the injuries they they've had. So I th- I think that's a good sign. It's kind of the same deal for for the Tigers, you know, with Akil Badu. You know, they took him in the Rule Five draft, major league phase this time, so he's got to stay or be offered back. Um, and he just played his way onto the roster, as, you know, as as we talked about uh, previously, and. The question was going to be like, well, how is he going to play? And like, well, they'll use him in and have him pinch run or, you know, be a defensive replacement. You know, it's not typical to have a guy who's only an outfielder as a fifth outfielder these days. And uh, he homers on his first pitch and then he homers again and he's got three hits and two of them are homers. Um, He's got a stolen base. He can play all three outfield positions. The the thing that's interesting with him, you know, he always had – very good tools, and 
looked like he was taking a, a, a big step forward in terms of, of turning them into performance. And then he got hurt. And then we had the shutdown. So he really hasn't played a whole lot of baseball. And he's not played above a ball uh, before now. So, you know, it's only, you know, seven at bats, you know, and eventually I would imagine if he starts playing more, uh, they'll start adjusting to to him. But there, there are some exciting tools there. That I think the question is going to be, can he play enough where his development isn't stunted? It's kind of the, like what used to be the, the question about Rule 5 guys when sometimes we take really talented players uh, before that extra year evaluation was added and you might get a guy who was really talented and but they'd waste away on the bench and and kind of their development would get stunted you know he needs to play and it'll be interesting to see if he continues to swing a hot bat then much like with your mean mercedes they're gonna have to find a way to play him um and unlike your mean mercedes he does bring other other things to the table uh, in terms of what he can do defensively and on the base paths and just you know, touching on McKinstry, who we've talked before, yeah, you know, I say this all the time. I mean, people in baseball acknowledge it too. So it's not like I came up with this, but the Dodgers just do an unbelievable job of of making guys better. And I mean, he was a thirty third round pick out of Central Michigan as a sophomore eligible back in in two thousand sixteen. He had good bat to ball skills, but didn't really hit the ball with much authority. And, and their area scout Trey Magnuson thought that they could get him stronger and develop some more pop. And he has gotten stronger. They've made some swing changes. He, he's got more loft in his swing. He's, you know, more, I think, aggressive looking for pitches to drive. But he still makes contact. He still draws walks. He's a solid runner. He's got a plus arm. He can play all over the place. I mean, you're talking about World Championship Club that, that you know, has won at an amazing clip in the big leagues. And, you know, Kike Hernandez left as a free agent. Zach McKinstry pops right into his role. And, you know, through the first five games of the season, he's already gotten two starts, 12 plate appearances. He's played second base. He's played outfield. Uh, he's got four extra base hits already. And it just seems like it never ends for the Dodgers that they just are constantly bringing impact players to the big leagues. Now, I'm, again, I don't think he's going to have a 1591 ops going forward. But, I mean, he's a guy who can do a lot of things and be very valuable to the club and and I will say not a rookie anymore, but and small sample size of five games. But so far, Gavin Lux is looking like the Gavin Lux we saw in 2019. So those three guys are the three prospects who have the highest OPS over the course of the first few days of the season. Akil Badu, by the way, we, we were kind of selling him short there when Jonathan, you were saying he's, he has two home runs. That second home run, uh, merely a grand slam. And then you were, as you were talking about how he brings value on the base paths and uh, on defense, he was inserted into the game as as it's going on right now, inserted into the game as a defensive replacement, uh, actually a pinch runner and to play defense. So uh, to your point, uh, as you were speaking about it, uh, mean Mercedes, we're going to hear more about him uh, shortly, but just to kind of recap some of the ridiculousness um, the first player in the modern era dating back to 1900 to begin a season with hits in his first eight at bats. Five of those eight hits came with two strikes, by the way. Uh, his 12 hits are the most by any player in the modern era over his first four career starts. He is the first player with three or more hits in a game three times in his first four career starts. 
since Roy Campanella back in 1948, and his 12 hits are the most by any White Sox player over his first four games of the season, surpassing who, Jim, Jonathan, Ducky Holmes in 1904. I thought you guys would know that. I'm a little disappointed. I think Jim covered Ducky when he was in college. Big fan of uh, Ducky Holmes. I was I was sitting here. You're, the the question uh, uh, caught me off guard, and I was I was watching video of, of Byron Buxton's home run popping up on our website as I was uh, looking at something on our website. So yes, I uh, uh, yeah, we would not have gotten Ducky Holmes. Was it the the four? I'll, I'll update his blurb. We will update uh, the Mercedes blurb. To Let's get Ducky Holmes in there. Well, well, here you go. I'm going to give you Ducky Holmes trivia. Do you know there are there were not one but two players named Ducky Holmes in Major League history? Two Duckies. After the Ducky you referred to, uh, White Sox Ducky Holmes, who who had a ten-year career, there was a Ducky Holmes who played for the St. Louis Cardinals nine games in 1906. Well, I think it's very important uh, that we get our Duckies in a row right now. <laughs> oh. Thank you. All right. Let's uh, use that to move on, huh? Yeah. So, real quick, and we don't we don't have to necessarily talk about all of these guys, um, but. A couple things that that uh, jumped out to me is Jim. You mentioned Yermin Mercedes being one of the oldest players on a top thirty prospects list. He is actually the third oldest player on any top thirty prospects list. Um, another of the three oldest players, Julian Merriweather, has been very good early on. Uh, he's the second oldest player on any team top thirty prospects list behind Justin Topa, who is the oldest. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, some guys that you probably expected to see, or, you know, they're ranked much more highly, uh, top 100 prospects. Key Brian Hayes was off to a blistering start and then injured his wrist. He is on the 10-day IL, uh, but he was off to a fantastic start, also homered in his first at bat of the season. Um, kind of curious whether you guys have seen uh, – Kopech, he's been lights out in his first two outings. Uh, he and Crochet both. Um, and with those two guys in that bullpen, um, coming from the right and the left with that heat, um, that's that that seems uh, a tall chore for anyone in the mid to late innings of a game. And they're not even asking those guys to be the closer either because they have Liam Hendricks. It's uh, no, I mean it's yeah, it is great to see Kopech back. I mean he got hurt. I mean what's crazy is he hadn't pitched in the big leagues in three years. He hadn't pitched in a, I guess he pitched in spring training games, but not an official game since 2018 because he had the Tommy John. Then he opted out of last season. Now he's back. You know he's uh, you know averaged 97 miles an hour with the fastball, 86 miles an hour. With the slider, so I mean, it, 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 he's not just back. It's you know we're seeing the Michael Crochet, uh, the Michael Kopech. I uh, was com- 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 combine him with Garrett Crochet there for a second. We, we're, we're getting the Michael Kopech that we all knew and loved before, and Crochet. Uh, you know, I, I guess Crochet's stuff is technically down from when he averaged 100 miles an hour last year when he came up. He's only averaging 97. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, and it's it's interesting with both those guys. You know, it's not all the wrong possibility that one or both of them will be starters going forward. You know, long term, the the White Sox don't have a lot of sure things in their rotation, but for now, they're they're two great weapons in the bullpen. All right, you're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. When we come back, Jonathan will talk to White Sox Senior Director of Baseball Operations Dan Fabian about Yermin Mercedes. 
and his incredible start. That's coming up next on the Pipeline Podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Mercedes has his first major league hit. He's been waiting a long time for this. 28 years old, your mean Mercedes climbing through the minors, and he is on base, and there's his baseball for Melbourne. Left side through, he'll get at least one run. Joe McEwing says, come on down, Adam Eaton, and he is safe at the plate. Your mean Mercedes keep that baseball too. It's seven to one. Mercedes turns on it down the left field line. Did he? Yes, he did. The fun never stops with number 73. Your mean Mercedes bring him home. Come on. Mercedes up the middle. He is seven for seven to open the year. Big load ready to go. And he unloads to left center field. This is number eight. And it takes a big old bounce. Your mean Mercedes send him to the All-Star game. Outrageous what he's done. This is absolutely Hollywood golden ridiculous. That was the absolute ridiculous beginning to uh, the 2021 season for Yermeen Mercedes, and uh, it took him a, a long time to to even get the opportunity to do that. And w- one of the uh, members of the Chicago White Sox front office, who at least bears a, some responsibility for getting him that opportunity, is joining us right now uh, on the Pipeline Podcast, and that's Dan Fabian, uh, the director of is it director of baseball operations? Is that the uh, Senior director. Senior director. My apologies, sire. (laughs) Um, Senior director of baseball operations for the Chicago White Sox. And, you know, I wanted to start with Mercedes, obviously, because, you know, American League Player of the Week, you know, goes eight for eight. We talk a decent amount about the Rule 5 draft uh, in in our world. Don't talk too much about the minor league phase of the the Rule 5 draft. Probably can count on one hand the amount of guys who become impact players. And obviously, we remains to be seen whether you're mean Mercedes as a true impact player, but you know, maybe we could start just by talking about how you would identify someone like that. Cause this is a sure. guy who is, uh, you know, been around for a while. He's 28 year old rookie. Uh, and uh, it even took him a couple of years to get an opportunity in your organization. Once you were able to acquire him. 
right? The minor league rule five has always been a scouts draft. Um, we have a full pro staff, just part of our general coverage. I mean, we, we cover the, the top four levels uh, fully. Uh, we try to get lower when we can. Your mean was a guy that uh, John Tamini had seen with Baltimore in 16 and 17, had prospect reports from both years. When the Rule 5 reserve list come out, then I go with the process of matching up the list with the reports and see who jumps. And your mean would happen to be the guy on the top of the list that year. Uh, John liked his hit tool. He liked his power and he had plus arm strength. Felt that the catching was still a bit rough, but a catcher can hit. You're going to certainly take your chances. So he moved to the top of the list. Doug Lauman happened to be in the Dominican that winter doing some amateur stuff. And he was like, hey, I can catch some games at night. You want me to catch anybody? I was like, yeah, if you get, get a chance to see Lee say, check out this Jermaine Mercedes. We're thinking about a minor league rule five. And Doug backed up John's reports. Uh, we selected him 24 grand later. Uh, he's in our system. Um, our PD staff, you know, like everything else in baseball, scouting and PD work together. Player development did a great job at Jermaine. Guillermo Kuros, John Orton with the catching, Doug Sisson, our field coordinator, Chris Getz, all the hitting guys. Um, and then your mean came to big league camp last year and just put on a show before things got shut down, like was playing himself into the conversation hits. Well, again, this spring, unfortunately, Lloyd gets hurt. So now we have an opening and, and your mean has certainly jumped into that. So, but, but rule five is something that I, the minor league side, something over my career, I've sort of taken a little pride in Omar Navarez was another minor league rule five pick of ours. We had two guys on our world series team in 05. We traded minor league rule fives for, we, we got, uh, John Garland and uh, Uribe both out of uh, for trades for Matt Karcher and uh, Aaron Miles. So it's something. It got tough for some years when they changed the rules. There was about eight years ago that changed and they added a year to the you know protection, and it kind of dried up for a couple of years. But it's starting to come back again. So uh, Will Carter was a guy we took a year ago who came into a big league camp a game this spring was ninety seven and ninety nine with a power sinker. So. Our scouts do a really good job identifying these guys. We have a pretty good system that's set up to try to get them into the system. And um, it's something we've had, you know, it's, it's not an every year thing, but we've had some success every three or four years finding some players to this. One of the things I think the, you know, the general public may not realize is, you know, the, the major league phase does get a certain amount of t attention. And, and internally, Dan, we always joke, you know, I think people care more about it than the impact it actually has, especially right. with those rule changes. That extra year on the major league phase made it much less likely to find uh, an impact player in the major league phase, with all due respect to what Akil Badu has been doing for the, yeah. for the Tigers so far. But uh, at the minor league phase, it, it's, it's almost like zero risk. Because in the major league phase, yeah. you have to keep the guy uh, on the big league roster or offer him back minor league phase. You can not only keep the guy, but you can put him wherever you want yep. up and down your system. So I'm actually some, you know, I guess there's generally a good amount of players taken. I'm often surprised even with the rule change that there aren't more players taking it. Why not roll that very low risk dice more, more frequently because Guys develop at different paces, uh, you know, be, before the guys you, you mentioned, the only guy I can think of is Fernando Vina, who was a, a minor league rule five guy who ended up being, being, you know, obviously a very good big league player. And that was quite some time ago. Why is it that more teams don't try the, your mean Mercedes of the world? It's a good question. I think it's just, it's a, you obviously have, you're not going to have a full player. You're going to have, you're going to have some tools, they're on a double-A roster for a reason. There may be some other things, maybe off the field, that an organization feels a player needs to change the scenery. 
we've had some guys over the years that that's been the case that we've been able to work with. So I think it just depends on, um, depends on each organization. I just think our scouting, the way we scout our pro scouting department works and the way we profile through our analytics department leads us to be able to find some of these, you know, perhaps diamonds in the rough. And you're mean, obviously it's been a great week and hopefully it will continue, but the, uh, you know, obviously we always keep our eyes open. And it's always telling the scouts, you know, scout them all. We don't know what it's going to turn out to be. It's not like the draft. When your name comes up, you pick someone. With, with pro scouting, you just don't know what you're going to need. You need a full coverage. You never know what a trade or a waiver claim or a player's released or what it's going to be. You just have to be ready for it. So that's we sort of pride ourselves on just getting as much information in general as we can to be able to, you know, anticipate anything that comes up. I guess it'll create a good problem when everyone gets healthy. Uh, you know, what, what, what do you do with your mean Mercedes? You know, if he's hitting 900, I don't think you could send them down. Um, but uh, I guess those are the kinds of problems that when you're looking for talent and you're building depth and, and, and you guys have certainly used your farm system to, to turn things around in, in Chicago over the last couple of years, that's the kind of backlog of talent that you're, you're hoping to, to pull up. Exactly. You need depth. You know, you, you're not going to get through the season on 26 players. You're going to need a whole lot more than that. So you always have to be active and looking to add things into your system just to have that depth when something does happen. You know, obviously when we lost him and as it was, you know, well, that's a rough day. It's like, okay, next guy up has always been the, you know, and it's, you know, to this point, Mercedes is the guy who stepped up. I know each night, you know, Tony Larusa keeps joking about taking him out of the lineup and laughs and realizes you, you ride this one out as long as you can ride it. And, you know, the last night, he, he's just, he's gotten every kind of hit, two strike hits. You know, he's got a home, got his first home run. He's driven the gaps. He got an infield single last night. You know, your mean isn't the fastest guy in the world, but he's just locked in right now. And he's gotten big hits too. really argue both games we've won this year because your mean has really gone through. And it's just a great, it's just a great baseball story for a guy who has spent that much time in the minor leagues to come up, whatever happens from here on out, the fact that he came out of the gate eight for yep. eight. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things that uh, it, it's, it's easy to root for, for a guy like this. Yeah. He, and he's always hit. So I don't think, you know, watching the, him the last two springs, he's hit good pitching in spring training. And I know it's spring training, but it's still major league pitching. You know, he's just, he's got a good approach. You know, he cuts down. He has a two strike approach. He has a big leg lift before two strikes, but he cuts it down two strikes, tries to put the ball in play, you know, and he's hitting the minors and he's hitting the Dominican and, you know, he's just getting his opportunity now to show he can hit the big leagues. Yeah, and uh, I, I learned a long time ago from from people like yourself who've been in the game a while. If a guy hits, he's going to find his way into the lineup. It's yep. kind of simple. Uh, and that. I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, and you talked about in terms of the, the the regular draft, you only pick one guy at a time. And you know, when when you guys were kind of in, we'll use the loose term of rebuild mode. You you had some, you know, some earlier picks, uh, and those guys are are hitting the big leagues. Uh, right now, uh, Andrew Vaughn getting that opportunity in, in left field uh, because of the injury to Eloy Jimenez, but he w- he had hit his way onto onto the opening day roster anyway. So let's start with with Andrew uh, because this was a weird situation where no one in the outside world got to see him. You know, he had his first summer. Uh, where he was fine, but you don't put too much stock into that first summer pro ball. Uh, he didn't set the world on fire. He wasn't terrible, but, it, you know, and then that's been it because of the shutdown. Uh, we didn't see what all the work he put in the alternate site. What were the things that you as a, as a front office saw that made you realize that Andrew Vaughn was ready for the big leagues on, on opening day to the point where you were like, you didn't hesitate to, you know, start his clock, all the things that, often come into play when you're deciding when to bring a player up. 
Yeah, he just, you know, he came in that first year, and we were pretty aggressive with that first year. He finished at high A, which is aggressive. And obviously last year probably would have been a double A if we'd had a minor league season. The alt site, it was just his his work ethic, the way quality at bats, the way he approached it. Um, you know, obviously he was seeing big league pitchers as they came in and out of there. I mean, it was our pitchers, but he was definitely seeing guys who were getting up and down when guys were rehabbing and stuff. And he just made a real positive impression on Chris Getz and the whole PD department. Um, he carried it over into this spring training. Um, obviously, we sort of had an open DH slot as it was, and he was certainly in competition for that. And it just was, you know, he was he was ready to, to get his chance. Now, left field, something they'd worked with him last year on. And then when, unfortunately, with the injury hit, that was accelerated. He made he made a real nice play le- last night with Rodon on the mound to, to save us some runs, getting back to the wall and getting to one. So um, he, he, he certainly – with Luis Robert next to him, he doesn't, you can't always cover towards the line, or, you know, when you look at it, but he's done a nice job with that adjustment. So it's a learning curve, obviously. He's, he's struggling a little here this first week, but, you know, it's, it is, you know, a ball, no summer for real to the big leagues. And I just think it'd be real interesting to watch how all these younger kids deal with last year being missed. It's so unknown. We have no data on what the heck, how this is going to work. Right. Um, I wanted to, you know, another first rounder. Yeah, obviously, was up last year, Nick Madrigal. And, uh, you know, my colleague Jim Callis and I are always talking about him. He's such a hard guy to figure out, like, where to put in the rankings because it's not a typical profile. And he just makes a ridiculous amount of contact. He doesn't swing and miss. There's not been power, um, you know, but he keeps doing it and he's done it at the highest level. I mean, is this sort of what you thought you were, you know, is this what everyone thought you were getting uh, when you got Nick Madrigal? Obviously, the approach and everything got him to the big leagues super quick. And then he's just done what he does at the highest level. Yeah, no, offensively, he definitely, he's just got that magic bat. He just can find a piece of grass. And it's uh, he's an old school throwback. He reminds me a lot of the second basements of when I was a kid in the seventies and eighties, there wasn't a big power position back then. And it's become just because the way the games evolved, but it's definitely an old school sort of contact first, but no, he just does some stuff that you just, you're just amazed every other game. It's like, wow, that's only Madrigal can do that. He's a great, he hit out like three twelve last year with two strikes. He just does things that you just don't see. When everybody, you know, no one's no one's choking up on the bat two strikes of the game anymore. He just has that natural ability to put the ball in play. And uh yeah, definitely offensively, he's been he's been great with that stuff. You know, let off last night with you know, it's you know, he's definitely filled that that role for us well. He I know you know last uh, last summer he struggled a little bit defensively, which was surprising, uh given you know what uh people thought and what it seemed from him. Was there any anything that was pinpointed? I, I know it's still a relatively small sample size, so we weren't like overly concerned about it, but it was something that was of note for a guy who a lot of people sort of penciled in as a, as perhaps a plus defender, you know, he did struggle at times uh, defensively, which was the one thing that probably was disappointing, a little bit surprising on, on the negative uh, side of the column. Yeah. It's, I think it's just the experience. I think it's, you know, the, the major league games fast and, you know, he didn't come as quick as Vaughn, but it's only one more year. And, you know, it's just getting used to the speed of the game and, and, you know, staying under control, Nick, you know, he, he likes that he wants to make every spectacular play. And I think just big league players have to understand, you know, the main focus is making the basic play and not getting too quick. He has a tendency just to get too quick defensively when he doesn't need to and just needs to focus. And I think it's just learning. It's, you know, this is a guy who's still, 
He's probably got, he had that injury last year with the shoulder. He's probably got 40, 50 games. He doesn't have very much time yet. Right. And I think it's just, you know, everything's so accelerated anymore. Sometimes it just takes players a while to, to get the feel for the, the big league speed of the game. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I have a feeling he's going to make those adjustments that are, that are necessary. I wanted to switch gears with one last question. I mean, we could talk for, you know, about the, the construction of this roster for, for hours and appreciate the time. Uh, but you know, one of the things you mentioned pro scouting wise, you know, and you've, you've brought in some very important pieces via trades, guys who were prospects who are now, you know, not just contributors, but the, the guys who are leading this team and, and the guy who jumps out to, to me, of course, is Lucas Giolito. Uh, um, and I wanted to ask just about, you know, the process of bringing him in and maybe it speaks at a larger level, how you guys, you know, evaluate such things. You know, he, he had touched the big leagues, uh, had struggled uh, a bit in, in Washington. Um, how confident were you that, you know, you'd be able to figure things out. Obviously there's some trust in your, in your big league coaching staff there and, and how proud uh, is a scouting, a, you know, a scouting department or a baseball operations department uh, when a guy like that does turn into the, the frontline starter that you're hoping you're getting when you pull the trigger on a trade like that. I think with Lucas, the big thing is what our scouts saw was the, the ability was there still despite the struggles. Um, he had to, you know, he, he got together with Ethan Katz, who's now our major league coaching coach, you know, two years ago in the off season and reworked some things with his arm action and stuff and his delivery, but still the scouts saw the pieces there. They saw the athleticism. They saw the ability to make adjustments. You know, being a young pitcher, it takes time sometimes. It takes innings. It takes, once again, it's experience. And it's, you know, that, that rough experience that he had three years ago certainly led to him trying to figure out. But the basic pieces that made him a first-round pick that were attractive in the trade were still identified along the way. Now, all the credit to Lucas for realizing where he was wasn't working as well as where he is now with shortening up the arm action and sort of simplifying the delivery. You know, Lucas is a big, tall guy, and he's got long levers, and sometimes those guys need to simplify things, and it's really worked for him. You know, he is – He's taking it. You're seeing that, you know, that number one mentality developing with him too. You know, he's got veterans like Keiko and Lynn on this staff too, but you know, Lucas is definitely, you know, when you need to like the playoff game last year, you need, you know, you can send him out there and you're going to get a really good effort. Awesome. Well, like I said, we could, uh, we could go player by player. I'd love to keep talking. Dan, we'll have to have you back on again. Uh, thanks again uh, to Dan Fabian, senior director of baseball operations for the Chicago White Sox. Dan, thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. Our thanks to Dan Fabian for joining us here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. And guys, uh, the White Sox, as, as Dan was talking about, uh, and, and Jonathan, you alluded to that, you know, they have built this roster. You, you said that using the term rebuild loosely, uh, I guess not. Would you consider it a full on rebuild? I mean, uh, you know, there are certainly teams that that we've talked about over the past few years where it was very clear this is a rebuild. Did the White Sox ever reach that point for you? I, I mean, I, th- I think they they did, right? Uh, even if they never wanted to, to call it that. Um, you know, they traded for players that they were hoping were close to big league ready. You know, Giolito was in the, you know, it, it had touched the big leagues when they got him and, you know, Kopech was presumably not far away at the time and, or they hoped. And, you know, so, you know, Mankata, you know, got to the big leagues, you know, quickly. I mean, so, but if you look at what they did, right, which was trade for a whole bunch of prospects 
and draft at the top of the draft a couple of years in a row. I mean, to me, those are those are all the signs of a of a rebuilding organization. Uh, and they and they and they did it. You know, I think they were pretty successful at it in the combination of uh, you know, the the trades that they made to bring in impact kind of talent, um, from Yohan Mancata to the now injured Eloy Jimenez. You know, I think people forget sometimes that he was a trade guy, you know, uh, Kopech and Giolito. And, you know, they brought in a, a bunch of players like that. And then you look at Andrew Vaughn touching the big leagues now and Nick Madrigal. Uh, you know, those, those guys were taking number three and number four overall. Uh, the jury is out, right? It's still too early to tell whether or not those were successful picks. But it's looking like they're going to to be and to have both those guys in the big leagues now, that's that's kind of what you're hoping for. And I think the what they were able to do, uh, both in how they drafted and for the guys they traded, is maybe the length of the rebuild wasn't as long as it it, it can be at times. Uh, it's been a, a successful turnaround in them finding a variety of ways to to bring in uh, in talent to to impact that big league roster. That's now a, a you know a, a playoff caliber team. What impressed me when they were making those trades is, you know, we've all seen trades that, that you, you trade veterans and, and they don't always, for prospects, and they don't always work out because prospects aren't sure things. But I think what Rick Hahn did a, an excellent, excellent job of was the White Sox held firm and they weren't going to trade Chris Sale or Adam Eaton or, uh, or Jose Quintana unless they got premium value. They, they weren't going to just trade these guys to trade them. I mean, they were in a great situation because those guys had had signed contracts early in their careers that were very favorable to the team at, at that point of their career. So it wasn't like you were paying Chris Sale $30 million and your team wasn't good. Um, and, and the contracts also added to the value of the players. But I, I think they did a nice job with those trades. And, and then, as you said, Jonathan, I mean, yes, you know, we don't know exactly how good they are yet because it's early. But you know, they already have their first round picks from 2018, 2019, and 2020, all playing significant roles on the club right now. You know, Nick Madrigal's are starting second baseman. Andrew Vaughn's are starting left fielder. Um, theoretically, would be the DH if Eloy Jimenez hadn't got hurt. And Garrett Crochet, you know, went straight from the draft to the big leagues and, and made the playoff roster and is a key part of the bullpen. So um, it's all come together nicely. I mean, they were even able to use a guy like Dane Dunning, who was also part of the, the Adam Eaton trade, along with Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez. And they spun him into Lance Lynn. So, um, I, you know, I've been impressed with, with them extracting maximum value in, in their trades. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm sure the Fernando Tatis trade will always haunt Rick Hahn, but he's made made a lot of good ones too. And then how quickly they flipped from we're rebuilding to we're contending. You know, the young talent really helped them do that. And you know, they're they're young. We haven't ranked this, and I guess we could at some point. But but their young core of of talent that that's not even quite yet in its prime in the big leagues is is very impressive. All right, we had a trade involving a prospect and a former elite prospect as Orlando Arcia was traded from the Brewers to the Braves. We're going to talk about that when we come back on the MLB Pipeline podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. 
Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward Doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Had a trade go down, and uh, there was one current prospect involved as the Braves sent right-handers Patrick Weigel and Chad Sabatka to the Brewers for Orlando Arcia. The prospect there being Patrick Weigel, who was number 12 on the Braves list, slides into the Brewers list at number 17. Uh, Before we talk about him, though, I thought... Maybe talk about a little bit about Arcias. This is a guy who uh, had quite the uh, roller coaster, I guess, when you you look at his uh, prospect rankings. Uh, he was a guy that um, was not in the top 100 until 2015, uh, debuted at number 88. And then the next year in 2016, number six overall prospect, which, uh, you know, obviously at this point, five years later is looking like, a bit of an overrank, but uh, what was it then um, that led the industry to believe that he was going to be? I mean, if you're the number six prospect in baseball, you're you're expected to be a perennial all star. Um, what was it then that that made people think that, and what uh, you know, what do you think has happened since that has now allowed him to be traded to the Braves as sort of a, a backup infielder? Well, I think the short answer. And, and uh, Jonathan, I mean, I think you'd agree with that. I think everybody thought he was going to hit more than he has. I mean, he had a really good year in double A at age 20, um, got to triple A at age 21. And I think the expectation was, that, you know, I mean, he, he his gloves always stood out. Um, and, and, you know, his gloves have been pretty good in the big leagues. But, I, you know, I, I don't think we anticipated that he would be this guy who hit, you know, I think it's a career 244 average at this point. And, you know, he has had a couple 15 home run seasons, but, I just think his approach is all fouled up. I mean, he's, he's for a guy who doesn't have a lot of power, he's too aggressive and he taps into what he has, but it, but it's, it's really made him a very ineffective hitter. Yeah. I, I think that's it. You know, he, he made that jump up because of that year and the belief that the bat was catching up to, to the glove. So now you had a guy who could play a premium position, presumably every day, maybe even be a plus defender there with offensive upside and potential that he was starting to really tap into. And then, you know, you look at what his first real full season was in 2017 in the big leagues. And it looked like, okay, you know, for a super young guy to have 15 homers and steal 14 bases, um, you know, the, the approach wasn't great, but it wasn't like awful. Um, he figured, all right, maybe he'll start to make more adjustments as he matures. And, and, and he hasn't, you know, the, when he hit 15 homers again, as Jim alluded to in 2019, he only hit 223 and he just, you know, he kind of lost his approach and he's not, you know, hadn't really gotten it back. Um, But he's still young, you know, no, 
he's not going to be counted on to be, you know, any kind of superstar at this point, but you know, this is a guy who is still only 26. So there's time for him to sort of refine his way. Maybe the change of scenery will help. Um, he's not going to be the guy who, you know, deserved to be the number six overall prospect in all likelihood, but that doesn't mean that he can't be a productive big leaguer for a, a very competitive Braves team. That's hoping to play deep into October this year. That 2016 top 100 prospects list, by the way, started off like this. Corey Seager, number one. Byron Buxton, number two. The aforementioned Lucas Giolito, number three. Julio Urias, number four. J.P. Crawford, number five. Then Arcia, Yohan Moncada, who we've also discussed on this episode of the podcast, number seven. Dansby Swanson, eight. Joey Gallo, number nine. And Tyler Glasnow, number 10. So some pretty well-established stars in that Already. I feel good about that list. Not so bad. It, it, it's uh, continue on down the top 20, and there are some other big names in there as well. Nice, nice job, fellas. Uh, let, let's talk about the prospect, the current prospect involved in this trade. Uh, Patrick Weigel, as I mentioned, he was number 12 on the Braves list, enters the Brewers list at number 17. Jonathan, what can you tell us about Mr. Weigel? Yeah, and he's, he's kind of interesting. He's one of these guys who stuff-wise <clears> – <throat> has the stuff to start, but he's never thrown enough strikes or stayed healthy enough um, to, to do that. So he's a, a reliever only, um, but, you know, had a chance to four pitch mix. The fastball slider is really what, what plays the best. I mean, he'll touch 97, 98 and, you know, in the shorter stints, he'd probably be up there more often than not. Uh, and the slider um, has become his, his out pitch. He threw an average curve and, and a, a slider, which flashes plus, um, but the slider is more of the out pitch. But he's got a changeup, you know. Uh, but you know, he's six foot six. He's had trouble syncing up his delivery throughout his career. Uh, you know, he he had Tommy John surgery um, after you know sort of having a, a big jump forward. He he pitched out of the pen in college. Then they thought, oh, let's start him, and it looked like it was going to work. Then he got hurt, and he you know. He got added to the 40-man roster after the 2018 uh, season, even though he missed that year. Came back, made his big league debut. Uh, you know, I think he has a chance in Milwaukee to maybe carve out a role, uh, you know, as a as a setup guy is maybe more of his ceiling right now. Um, but if they just have him focus on relieving and he can forget about trying to start, then maybe he just goes to the fastball-slider combination and both of those can, can play up in shorter stints. All right, so as we mentioned – Earlier on the show, 17 top 100 prospects started the season on opening day rosters. Since then, three have graduated already. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle of the Orioles and then a pair of Tigers pitchers and Tariq Skubal and Casey Mize. They have been replaced on the top 100 list at the bottom of the list by Ryan Weathers, Davey Garcia, and John Duran. So I thought maybe talk a little bit about these three hurlers who... Um, have entered the list here. Um, Weathers has, uh, he's in the big leagues as well. He had the you know, interesting situation where he uh, made his big league debut in the postseason. Uh, he's pitched well so far early on. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, you know, we, we got to actually see a good deal of him in the big leagues last year with the Yankees. He made six starts for him down the stretch, pitched pretty well, very good against the Mets in his debut was used as an opener in the playoffs, much to the chagrin of Yankees fans, uh, 
when they got uh, eliminated in the American League Division Series. But, uh, you know, I think the most interesting thing to me about Garcia is that he was a different pitcher in the majors last year than we'd seen the minors. When he was in the minors, he was known for having one of the best curveballs around. And, you know, he, 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 his control, you know, he, he threw hard, like kind of like 92, 94, but he didn't always have a lot of control. And it, it, it was definitely a stuff over control approach. And last year, it was a more moderate approach where he, he tried to be more of a pitcher than just go after guys with pure stuff. You know, he's not a big guy. He's, he's 5'9", 163. And while his curveball worked in the big leagues, you know, it, it wasn't devastating like it was in the minors. Some scouts thought his low slider, low 80s slider was just as good. And after he touched, you know, 97 with his fastball in the, in the minors, he sat around 92 with lower spin rates in the big leagues with his fastball and his best pitch actually from a uh, performance perspective perspective was his changeup, but he also threw a lot more strikes. So I, I think, you know, kudos to him for kind of making some adjustments to become a more polished pitcher in the big leagues, you know, with no minor league season last year. And, you know, I, I think the, the biggest question with him, I, I think because of the size, you know, there, there's always going to be some question. Is he a long-term starter? Is he a long-term reliever? Because he's small, there's some effort in the delivery, although not as much last year as there had been in the past. Um, and if you had him in shorter stints where he went all out a little bit more, the stuff might be even more dynamic. But like I, I like him. He's a, he's a nice arm for the Yankees in that you could kind of, I think, kind of put him for now at least in whatever role you decide you need, whether it's late inning relief, starter, multi-inning reliever. You know, he's, he's kind of equipped to, to do whatever you need of him. Jonathan, kind of on the other end of the size spectrum a couple of these guys uh, that you can talk about here but Duran at 6'5 and 230 Uh, I feel like he's he's probably the uh, I don't know would you say the least known commodity of these these three pitchers I mean I know we've seen him uh, but I feel like Weathers is a a pretty famous name even though he has not pitched professionally much but uh, all three of these guys with 2021 ETAs, by the way, um, to tell us a little bit about Duran. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's probably lesser known. I mean, obviously, uh, Ryan Weathers has the, the lineage with the, his dad, David, the long time, uh, big leaguer and first rounder and Garcia pitched in New York. And Duran is a guy who had been under the radar, uh, signed originally with the diamondbacks, Six and a half years ago, or whatever, December of 2014, for not a lot of money, and uh, moved very slowly. Kind of was one of these afterthought guys when the when the Twins traded Eduardo Escobar to the Diamondbacks in 2018, and then he really took off, uh, made it to Double A in 2019, and and got added to the 40 man roster, and uh, by by all internal accounts, threw really well at their their alternate site and. You know, we've talked about him a bunch and, you know, as I've mentioned each time, I love talking about him because I get to mention his splinker, uh, which is maybe my favorite hybrid pitch. It's the splitter sinker, um, which is insane because, you know, this is a guy who sits around 97 with his fastball, hits triple digits regularly. And then he's got this splinker that's up to 93, 94. That is just absolutely filthy. Um He's added a curve since then, so he's got a three-pitch mix. He throws enough strikes where he has you know, a very good chance to start. 
you know, we'll have to see him do it at the upper levels and and continue to do it over the course of a, of a season. Knowing that that like that kind of power stuff would be ridiculous uh, out of the bullpen, but you know, I think he throws it enough uh, enough strikes, and his command has a an up arrow next to it that. You know, this is a guy who I think could continue to move up our list pretty quickly. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe he does reach the big leagues this year. I, I kind of always thought that he'd be the kind of guy who'd come up late in the year, start in the bullpen, and then work, you know, work his way back in, into the rotation uh, as the Twins need him. But the stuff is absolutely nasty, all coming from that, as you said, that that huge six foot five frame. Because all three of these guys um, have that reliever risk if you will that i think that's actually in uh, duran's scouting report uh on the top 100 list but you know all three scouting reports allude to the potential for these guys to wind up in the bullpen uh would you say i get, i initially was going to ask you if you had to take one of these three long term uh would you both take weathers he's yeah i guess when you get down to this end of the top 100 list there's not a lot of separation uh, but he is ranked ahead of the other two. Would you would you both take Weathers in the long run? I would, and I don't know that there's a ton of reliever risk with him as with the other two guys. I mean, he was more of a polish over stuff guy in high school when he was the Gatorade National uh, Player of the Year, and um, and his stuff has taken a huge jump forward in pro ball. I mean, the the, the thing that would hold him back is he's like he's not the most athletic guy. He's listed at 6'1", 230, and there's some question. I mean, you need athleticism to be able to maintain quality stuff over a start, over a season. So that, I guess that's where it would come from. But I actually think like, I think he's so efficient on the mound. He throws a ton of strikes that I'm not really worried about him being a reliever. So I, I would clearly take him over the other two guys. I think it depends on what it is we're, we're picking, right? You know, if you're saying who would you take – based on who has the most certainty to be a starter, then yes, I would take Weathers. If you're saying who has the most upside, I probably would take Duran. Um, but, you know, there there isn't as much of a – and I agree with Jim's assessment. I think I think Weathers, you know, people have seen him in the big leagues as a, as a reliever at first, but, like I, you know, I think he has every chance to start uh, long-term – uh, you know, with the the conditioning being the one, you know, I guess possible issue. But Duran's stuff is so nasty, you know, that if if that curveball continues to come and he continues to throw enough strikes, like he, this is a guy who could pitch at the, you know, at or near the front of a rotation, while Weathers, you know, has a higher floor, the ceiling isn't quite as high as that. All right. The top 100 prospects list always being updated. Uh, you can find that on MLB dot com slash pipeline definitely go check that out as uh, we will continue to update it with graduations and then uh, as we get a few weeks into the season we'll uh, we'll do a market correction we'll make sure that the top 20 or so overall players are ranked correctly we don't make a lot of changes based on short-term performance uh, but we do uh, make sure to kind of fine-tune that as we go throughout the season all right Draft talk, guys. Rocker lighter time. Um, last we spoke, well, jo- Jonathan, you were not here with us last week. So I guess last the three of us spoke, uh, lighter had just thrown a no-hitter. Um, but then last week, 
he had thrown another seven no-hit innings and was up to 16 consecutive. And uh, he ran that four more in his uh, last start against LSU, took it up to 20 consecutive no-hit innings. Um, Rocker the night before against LSU, no slouch either. Um, One earned run in six innings. And uh, Jim, I know you have been working on a story. You've talked to a lot of people um, kind of comparing these two guys. Um, And that's, you know, I think that's the beginning of the season. Rocker was the number one overall draft prospect. uh, Lighter number, what, five or six? Six. Um, Six. And, And, you know, since then, they've both been absolutely dominant. Um, I think, you know, domination from a pair of college pitchers uh, like we haven't seen in, in a very long time, uh, if ever. And uh, But Leiter's been better. And uh, would would you say now that he has moved safely in front of Rocker at this point? And how, li- how likely would you say it is that Rocker could jump back in front of Leiter if that is the case? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because you know I think the key words in that are at this point because we have an extra month before the draft this year. Um, it's in mid July now. Um, both these guys are, <laughs> have won all seven of their starts. They have sub one ERAs, great strikeout to walk ratios. Um, but they they you know they they pitched about like a little bit more than a third of their season. So there's a long way to go. So I do think if the draft, I, I do think if the draft were today, Jack Leiter would go ahead of Kumar Rocker. We're, you know, not that every team has the same thinking, but, you know, I, I'm working on that story. Um, it'll be on our website very soon and probably by the time most people listen to this. And, and if you, just in a straight vote, I don't have the tally in front of me. It's been a landslide for Jack Leiter. Um, now, that said, Jack Leiter's never pitched 100 innings in a season, I don't think, in his life. And so what does his stuff look like after 100 innings? <laughs> we don't know. And if if some fatigue sets in, and then Kumar Rocker could definitely move ahead of him. Um, you know, I think what's interesting is kind of the the short version coming into the year was that Kumar Rocker was more physical and had more power to his stuff. And Jack Leiter, while he wasn't a touch and feel guy, you know, was more of a polished pitcher um, and, you know, a smaller guy than Rocker and didn't throw as hard. But as the season has played out, I I think the consensus from the people I've talked to, which is a lot of people, is that Jack Leiter might have more swing and miss stuff than Kumar Rocker, especially as you start climbing the ladder in professional baseball and get to the big leagues. Jack Leiter has, even though he doesn't throw quite as hard as Kumar Rocker, and and that being said, Kumar Rocker's velocity has been down a little bit the last couple of weeks. Jack Leiter, nobody hits his fastball in the strike zone, and Kumar Rocker gets a lot of swings and misses at the top or, or outside the strike zone. And that Jack Leiter has, you know, he's got the ability to land his breaking pitches where he wants and play him off his fastball. And Kumar Rocker can show you a wipeout slider, but a lot of it is sharp break out of the strike zone and are more advanced hitters going to chase as much as college hitters do? And I mean, the answer to that, of course, is no. So um, I think the narrative has definitely changed in that where you would have thought that Kumar Rocker and I'm not saying this based on the college statistics, but just in terms of how their stuff plays, they, they, I, I don't think the majority of teams consider Kumar Rocker a more overpowering dominant pitcher than Jack Leiter anymore. I think it's like it's just it's fascinating to see these two two guys, and we're going to have you know, obviously plenty of content on other tandems. Uh, you know, we've talked about Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer a lot, and 
uh, it's kind of insane what they're, they've both been doing. And, you know, if someone had said that, you know, Kumar Rocker would come out and have a 0.84 ERA and, you know, 61 strikeouts and 43 innings and a 137 batting average against, and you'd be like, but Jack Leiter is clearly ahead of him. You know, there's no way you would buy that. And I think it's going to be interesting with that, you know, the extra time before the draft, you know, usually the draft happens and then the remainder of the college postseason uh, occurs. And, and that's mostly, you know, teams have drafted their players and they're hoping they don't, you know, don't go out and get hurt during the College World Series. Uh, you know, I have to think, Jim, that Omaha is going to be insane this year. Um, whether, you know, we're assuming Vanderbilt's going to, you know, be there, but wh- whoever it is, like th- those are going to be last looks that you wouldn't be able to get with a huge spotlight. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how much scouting the College World Series looking way ahead is going to impact all of, you know, the decisions regarding college players, but particularly uh, this this Vandy duo. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, from talking to scouts, nobody really knows how <laughs> how, how things are going to play out in terms of job responsibilities. Like if you're the, the Tennessee scout for a club, you know, are you going to Omaha if they go? Are you to get our look? And, and then you can inform, you know, the, your club if things look differently. I mean, I do think that all those, you know, all the guys who are active throughout the NCAA playoffs will be monitored, whereas in the past, the playoffs, you know, I, I think generally the regionals will be over. Then you have the Super Regionals and College World Series. But, you know, if you're picking at the top of the draft and looking at a, at a lighter or a rocker, you're going to have guys monitoring those starts in Omaha, maybe not changing your mind, like, oh, like, you know, Kumar Rocker struck out 18, so now we're taking him number one. Not necessarily like that, but, like, you're definitely going to have to monitor these guys But because before you, you use a high pick and invest millions and millions of dollars in, in, in those guys in particular, uh, you know, you're going to want to, you know, have every data point and make sure they're healthy. Okay. We're not allowed to talk about only Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, so – Give me a couple more guys, a couple more draft prospects who have helium right now. Jonathan. I'll go the high school route. Um, and he's a guy who is on our our top 100, uh, Thatcher Hurd, um, who's, you know, kind of fascinated me because he, he jumped kind of late on the scene. Uh, super, super projectable. Uh, and came out of the shoot this year in California, pitching really, really well. Um, last start last week, he struck out 14. Uh, you know, he's the fastball is still like, if you grade it out right now, it's 90 to 94. But uh, really high spin rates, a lot of vertical movement, misses a ton of bats with it. The breaking ball has, has gotten really well. Well, he actually has a four-pitch mix, but we're talking – Future 60 fastball and curveball combination. And then the slider and changeup, you know, might be at least average. Uh, you know, all the ingredients to start uh, tends to throw strikes, even though he's kind of tall and lanky, he's still filling out his body. He's got a, a big start. Uh, there's a, a tournament uh, taking place at J. Sarah High School, uh, and he's pitching. Uh, tomorrow as we record this. So you know, on Wednesday, and I think the universe is going to be there, uh, not only because 
you know, he's pitching, but uh, because of the of the tournament nature, there are several teams to to scout. So uh, already his name I've heard being mentioned as high as like the sort of supplemental second round in terms of talent. Obviously, high school pitching can vary where they end up actually going. Uh, but there is a big up arrow next to his name, and I think I think that he could uh, help his stock out considerably uh, with another strong start in front of a lot of important eyes uh, in this in this tournament tomorrow. All right, Jim, who you got? I was going to say, you know, I, I, Danny Gentili, our, our producer who can't ever quit us, is texting me that he wants me to give you guys a quick pop quiz. I'm going to do that real quick because he loves the pop quizzes. I'm going to talk about Bubba Chandler from North Oconee High School in Bogart, Georgia. Do you know who else hails from North Oconee High School? North Oconee? Oconee North Oconee High School in Bogart, Georgia. Where Where is that? Is that, a, is that Atlanta area? It's, it's, it's near, it's, I think, closer to Athens, you know, which is, of course, the center of the universe, than, than Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I knew who that was. North Oconee. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys now, because I don't want Danny to think we're taking too long. Probably. Kumar Rocker is from North Oconee High School. Oh. And much like Kumar Rocker, Bubba Chandler is drawing first-round interest as a high school pitcher. Um, you know, he, I, I love projectable high school pitchers. It's one of my favorite draft phylums. And the thing is with Bubba, he's no longer projectable. He was 88 to 93 last summer. Now he's 92, 97 this spring. His curveball's got more power. His slider's got more power. He's got feel for a changeup. And oh, by the way, in case you don't like him as a pitcher, he might be a borderline first-round pick as a shortstop because he's a switch hitter with feel to hit, with power, solid speed, obviously plus arm, good instincts on defense. And oh, by the way, if that's not enough, he's also a Clemson recruit as a quarterback. Um, so <laughs> there's a lot going on with Bubba Chandler. Um, we were aggressive uh, when we ranked him 69th in our preseason list, and that's probably about 40 spots too low based on how he, he's pitched this spring. Um, and he's to me, he's one of the more fascinating guys in the draft, just with the two sports and the two-way potential. Um, and he's, he's just a very, very talented athlete who can do a lot of things. All right, so those guys uh... – Bubba Chandler was number 69 on the preseason top 100 prospects list, and Thatcher Hurd was number 76. Sounds like we can expect them to take big jumps up when we uh, expand that list to 150, which we will be doing in a matter of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, some more draft talk here as we go into our final segment, which is the mailbag. We wrap up each MLB Pipeline podcast with a question from our listeners. This one comes from Jack Breen, who says, after the news that Jaden Hill tore his UCL, where do you see him falling in the upcoming draft? So Jaden Hill, uh, going back to that top 100, preseason top 100 draft prospects list, he was number five uh, ahead of Jack Leiter, number six. So you had the the big three uh, right-handers, and Kumar Rocker was number one, Jaden Hill, number five, Jack Leiter, number six. Um, so, guys, to answer this question, where do you see him falling in the draft now that uh, there's news of his torn UCL? I think he goes somewhere between the late first round and the end of the second round. Um, he, he actually tore the UCL uh, pitching against Jack Leiter um, in, in the middle game of, of their weekend series. And 
you could see him shaking his hand and people were immediately speculating that it could be something wrong with the, the forearm or elbow. And, and it was, but I mean, you, you just look at, at the track record, um, you know, JT Ginn, who, who did pitch more in college than, than Jane Hill has. Cause Jane Hill had some elbow problems as a freshman, in the pandemic last year, JT Ginn got paid in the second round last year. Um, Dax Fulton was a high school pitcher who didn't pitch at all last spring. He got paid in the second round last year. We've seen guys like Clark Schmidt go in the first round, coming off Tommy John, Eric Fetty, Jeff Hoffman. Um, so I, I think, you know, it just depends on how aggressive a team wants to get with him. I think ideally you'd rather have him with your second pick, like especially if you have a sandwich pick, that you're getting a guy who, you know, maybe belong, you know, could have gone at the top of the draft, um, you know, with, with your second pick. The one thing that, that is kind of concerning about him is, you know, and maybe the elbow played into it. You know, his stuff was up and down. His performance was up and down. We talked about how Oral Roberts shelled him. Um, and he just hadn't pitched a lot in college. He only pitched 22 innings his first two college seasons. So you don't have as much track record with him. Although he was also, to use the proper nomenclature, a dude in high school, a big-time dude in high school. So there is that. But you, you don't have a long track record. Of, of of him performing, but I, I think that's where he goes. What about you, Jonathan? Where do you think? Yeah, I think maybe it's one of those teams that has you know some extra picks. Uh, there are certain teams uh, that don't shy away from from picking guys who need Tommy John surgery. You know, I'm I'm very much looking forward to the automatic. Oh, look, the Washington Nationals are projected to take Jaden Hill uh, because they've done that on more than one occasion. Uh, you know, I think it's an interesting thing because you're right. I mean, like he hasn't pitched a lot, uh, but he came in with a, a lot of, of excitement. We even you know, talked about him as, well, maybe he could end up supplanting the, the Vandy guys as, as the top guy. Maybe the elbow injury, I don't want to say helps him because obviously it doesn't. But, you know, it, it, it's now an explanation for why he's perhaps why he struggled so much this year. So if you feel that, well, the surgery is going to take care of it, uh, then the stuff that you've seen when he's been at his best presumably will come back. Um, you know, it is interesting to note that the the guys that you ticked off there who had Tommy John surgery and got drafted, you know, they haven't exactly um, – set the world on fire as, you know, in, in the pro game as, as of now. A lot of them are still to be determined and and, and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, that should be noted uh, as more and more teams are willing to to draft guys who have had Tommy John surgery, you know, out of college. But so we'll have to see. I, I think somewhere in that, you know, competitive balance round, second round makes sense. Could he sneak into the end of the first round? for a team with like multiple picks as they sort of play around with their bonus pool. Sure. I could, I could, I could see someone rolling the dice on, on that, uh, you know, especially if it helps them be able to, to, to spend uh, what would be needed to, to sign him. All right. Our thanks to Jack Breen for that question. And our thanks to everyone for listening to another edition of the MLB pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.